Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. Free healthcare is a seemingly impossible moonshot, yet we have it today and it's scaling. In fact, it's spreading by millions annually. Now, how are we getting there though? Well, the self-insured employers are doing this every day and we have 2 million users of DPC that are consumers, but 10 times that that are sponsored by mostly jumbo employers. Nearsight and onsite clinics is how you can Google this and virtual primary care. They all operate on the same monthly subscription model. Other pieces of this puzzle are taking cash in lieu of insurance collections, gladly for all the obvious reasons we don't need to get into. Employers are heading directly into a first time in 22 year recession, coupled with labor shortages and a broken supply chain. How's that for challenges for the CFOs? So they're obviously searching for salvation on their balance sheets and their healthcare spend is next to labor, their number two spend. Every dollar saved in healthcare spend is dropping to the bottom lines. Hallelujah. Eliminating the middles, the cost for employees drop 20 to 60% when it's done right. 20% if you're asleep and 60% if you really work it. And done right means contracts with direct primary care. Any of the 60 transparent surgery centers that are in the free market business or 640 independent surgery center specialists all love cash like today's guest. 1,700 independent imaging centers. Most labs also prefer cash pay. And wholesale pharmacy is all over the place these days. So these are what I call the five fingers, PCP, surgery and specialist, imaging and labs. Now you add in a claims adjudicator, find bad billing like Easter egg hunting, and billing errors are found in 85% of hospital bills So the Easter eggs are everywhere. And you add a catastrophic or stop loss plan to put a ceiling on the scary risks like cancer, cardiology, or car accidents, the big three C's, and there are refinements to take the best radiologists and find them to cut back on inaccurate reads and to test more widely or narrowly for certain risks. So it pays for itself when the plan is completed and what goes away for the employee is premiums, co-pays and deductibles. That's called a raise, something healthcare costs have stolen for decades now, as Dave Chase likes to say. Well, a raise of 9,000, which is the average premium that a single person is paying, is significant. And 22 grand for a family, those are big numbers because, again, they all drop to the bottom line. You've got to wait way more than 9,000 or way more than 22,000 to have that drop to your bottom line as savings. So, this is epic and historic stimulus times. And it's not coming from the federal government, it's coming from these jumbo employers. Well, the threat of medical debt also goes away. And we got to talk about that because when I started this podcast, 80 million Americans were living with that daily pressure. Now it's 110 million Americans living with medical bill pressure, the most intense time of emotional pressure. We got to throw in financial pressure only in America. Well, when removing the tyrannical friction of time and money and complexity, everyone wins. 
the hospital visits and their stays drop, the ER drops too, and the urgent care drops too. That's called a hurricane of complexity, that downstream costs center, once we enter the domain of the big hospitals. And they control 75 to 80% of all urgent care centers, and nobody knows that because they don't have to label. It's a financially predatory storm. With a primary care long-term trust relationship, consumers also live longer lives. It's been called equivalent to quitting smoking or wearing a seatbelt, having a PCP that knows you well, knows your family well. It's a recipe. So direct contract with primary care, 20,000 PCPs are in that ecosystem. There are 15 CEOs who have been on this show that have scalable, either regional or national models right here on this primary care cure show. Transparent price surgery centers. We've had three of the 60 in the US, including the OG, Surgery Center of Oklahoma, Keith Smith, and there are 640 independent ASCs. And if you listen to one of our recent shows, Dutch Rojas spoke a lot about those guys. Independent imaging with green imaging. You've heard Kristen Dickerson extol on the power of that being 20 to 40% the cost of the big systems. And wholesale pharmacy. You've heard Scriptco, Zach Zeller, talk about one to four pennies a pill for the generics, which represents about 85% of the purchases of pills in America. Specialists love cash, like our guests today, as I said, and claims adjudicator we talked about, patient assistant program navigator. That's free meds, free services, free surgery, even for most of those services under $15 an hour employees. So again, we've had Mike Bechtel from Redirect Health speak twice about patient assistance and a catastrophic stop loss wrapper to limit the claims on any claims higher than say 30,000 a member, 40,000 a member. Again, it's just a way to protect from the scary stuff. The employer wins, the consumers win, the docs are very happy in this model. The costs are dropping 20 to 60% for the employers and the consumers, and the outcomes are improving measurably. And the community wins with the dividends from all of these true wage raises when it's spent locally. The estimation from the Fed is when you get $1,000, there's a multiplier effect of $1.5, $1,500 that circulates in the local economy if you take the 20 million that you're going to save for 1,000 employees, that, that's a pretty big stimulus to any city. And for maternal companies pouring the savings into their local school districts like Rosen Hotels has done on a couple of our shows, they've talked about what they did for Tangelo Park, and now they've adopted a much larger school district, meaning they're guaranteeing a full ride college, for every high school grad ride. Decades now they've been doing that since the 90s. And as I said, they've just adopted a larger neighborhood Guess what goes away when hope is replaced? It's crime. So when healthcare is free, do we actually need a national debate on universal health coverage? Do we need a national debate on Medicare for all when it's broke in a few more years? Direct contracted care is that. It's just better in every possible way. Free healthcare reimagined. By the marketplace, not by bigs, not by feds. There are no free rides there when we rely on the bigs because they're completely divorced from our needs as consumers, as taxpayers, as patients. Direct contracts is a future where everyone wins. My favorite tagline, free healthcare is real, you guys. Okay, today you get to meet somebody in that ecosystem who's doing something interesting. We're gonna dig it out and figure it out. Dr. Daniel Paul is an orthopedic surgeon. He's also the founder and CEO of Easy Orthopedics, America's very first mobile cash-based orthopedic practice. He's an orthopedic surgeon, obviously, by training and a medical disruptor by passion. Daniel, welcome to the show. 
Hey, Ron. Uh, thanks for having me on. Any comments before we get going? No, I uh, agree with what you say. I think that direct contracting uh, with large employers are really what we need. A lot of people say, oh, our healthcare system is broken. I mean, it depends who you're looking at. If you're looking at the people that are making all the money from it, they would tell you it's not broken. But for physicians and for providers and patients, it is. And I don't think there's a good way to fix that system. I think we essentially need to build a new system, and that's what this direct care is doing. And I, I do believe that the primary driver of that will be employers who will find that they literally cannot afford another 20% premium increase in their health insurance um, without losing profitability. So I, I think that's where the sweet spot is uh, for this movement. The big insurers recognize the last 15 years that if they're not into Medicare Advantage, they're not growing. 90% of their profits are coming from federally funded, basically commercially contracted out services. So they're not making their money on the big employers anymore. Those guys have fled the coop and they may still be using them for their PBMs and group purchasing and their healthcare alliances, but I'm not sure the employers really are asleep anymore. I think they're pretty fully awake. Don't you? I think you'd have to be if you want to have a, a viable business. I mean, or unless you want to spend every single dollar that you make going to healthcare companies yeah, or health insurance companies. I think they, ha they have to, I think they're responsible for that. So one day you woke up and you were in the health insurance maelstrom, collecting, billing. You were dealing with the big, I call it the hot code in July. What woke you up and when did you realize you needed to shift gears into cash pay? Oh man. So my story is a little bit, I don't know if you call it complicated. It's a little bit different. So I started this practice essentially right out of training. So what happened was really sort of an existential crisis combined with a family crisis. So as I was finishing up my training, so I finished a five-year orthopedic surgery residency, and then I started a fellowship in hand surgery. So I was just going to do hand surgery. And obviously I do general now, so I don't do just hand surgery. And two things were happening. I, I was looking for a job out in Colorado Springs, which is where my wife is from and where uh, her family is. And like, I couldn't find one or I couldn't really find one anywhere in Colorado. It's kind of saturated with orthopedic surgeons and the jobs that were there were abusive at best, meaning that, hey, take our whole level three call or take our call for our entire practice all the time. Or, you know, here's our four month guarantee, you know, the standards two years. And it just kind of created this existential crisis. And I had a family crisis at the same time. And I actually ended up quitting my fellowship, breaking my lease and just moving out to Colorado into my in-laws basement to kind of figure something out. And I knew that I couldn't take insurance because I just would not be able to exist. So uh, that would put me in a high volume model. I wouldn't be able to do it as good as the other guys. And I had a friend from medical school who started a house call practice down in South Florida. I went to University of Miami for medical school. And I'm like, man, this guy's happier than anybody I know. And he's doing better financially. So uh, it was kind of desperate times and desperate measures. And I just took the leap and I said, well, no one's really done this for orthopedics. Not really like I'm doing. Um, so I'm just going to figure it out. And then that was about three years ago and the business has grown. I've moved out of my in-laws basement. I'm now in my own basement. So, you know, <laughs> tell me how mobile surgery works. That sounds like a dystopian future movie. Right, right. No. So the surgery is not mobile. The surgery is more at a surgical center or at a procedure room. But I think that with the direct orthopedic care, a lot of what I'm doing is not surgery. And I think, you know, we have our models of what we think doc specific doctors should do. 
based on you know insurance systems in the past. So primary care docs, these it's something that you know they don't feel comfortable with or need surgery. They send it to the ortho doc who is incentivized to do surgery. So what do they do? They do surgery if they can. Um, sometimes the indications are good. Sometimes they're not really good. I try to get to patients earlier than that. So not to the point where like, hey, we've tried everything. They need surgery now. Well, it's, you know, I think there's nuances that often get missed and things that maybe should have been sent out of that they've kept. And so I think the ideal placement for an orthopedic doc doing direct care is not so much, hey, I'm not a carpenter, send to me when, you know, you need surgery, but really earlier on when these musculoskeletal issues start to arise and they're not getting better. So does the diagnostic stand in their house somehow, or is it, first of all, how do you find the patients? And then when you see them, how do you diagnose them from a basement? Yeah, well, I'm not in, well, if I, I'm not in my own, well, so I do office and I do also house calls. So I start off hundred percent house calls. And then what I found was that other docs were like, well, Hey, can you see this person? They're going to be in my office Tuesday at 11. And so I would start seeing people in other people's offices. And actually one of the offices that I use is at an imaging center. So I'm kind of all over the map. Um, I don't have an office of my own. I use, I'm probably like 70% office, 30% house call at the moment, but that obviously depends on the time. But, you know, if they need imaging, we will see them at the imaging center and get x-rays or any sort of thing like that. But they're all, all solvable problems. I mean, ultimately, what is an office? It's just, you know, four walls and a door, an exam room. I can carry everything around that I need. You know, you can find four walls and a door in a lot of places. Did you find that it took a while for you to get to the income level you needed to get to, or are you still kind of building your practice? No, oh, I'm still building, but I mean, the income level is good considering the, the, the small amount of hours that I work. So the overhead is, it's a, a low overhead and then by nature, low volume practice. So um, I'm not, you know, since my overhead is really, really low, you know, I don't have all those the overhead associated with extra staff and billing. Um, I really don't need to see that many people. And, uh, no, it's been working out, uh, extraordinarily well. I didn't know if it would when I started, but, but it is certainly now. Have you calculated the numbers of what you're saving in terms of overhead by not having billing, coding, collecting insurance, verification claims, adjudication, all of the eight or nine people that have nothing to do with care, but have everything to do with getting paid. Have you, have you calculated what you're saving by not having that regime? Well, I haven't calculated it, but I'll tell you this. My overhead with this model, which is extremely durable, by the way, is about $2,000 a month, right? It's just me and my wife. Those are the only two employees, and all the costs are extremely low. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's like, what, half the cost of an MA per year? So if you have, you know, seven mm -hmm. or eight other people, you can figure it out. Also, my EMR is a lot less expensive because I don't need it for coding and billing. So, I mean, I think that it's like, oh, it's got to be at least like a 20th of probably what it would be. So if I was a surgeon listening to this, I would say, Cray Cray, he can't find patients on the internet, for God's sakes. How, how do people find you? And then how do you market yourself without being a marketer? Because that's the last thing doctors want to be. Well, you know, I've had to figure out a lot of that stuff. Um, but so the, I get my referrals primarily through two means. One is people that I've connected with in town, relationships I've made, whether that be other direct primary care docs or chiropractors, mostly people that are in the world of cash. 
So they'll give me, or a physical therapist, they'll give me direct referrals. And also people just find me on the internet. I have a decent website that I set up. I do my own search engine optimization, which if you do it right, isn't too much work. And so we'll get inquiries uh, fairly often and um, you know we'll respond to those and connect uh, directly uh, with the patients. I think you're saying you use common sense. I try to, to the best of my ability. Okay. <laughs> and avoid sharks when I can. Yeah. Do you get any complications or infection rates that are beyond the surgery center's usual rate or are you below that? Because, I mean, you're working essentially with a different team all the time, aren't you? Yeah. Like I said, most of my practice is not focused on surgery. So all I do it, it's, ah, not, okay. it's not the central focus of my practice. Okay. Um, you know, because the way I built it was from the ground up. So it's not like you, you have to start with just getting patient, seeing patients in the first place. And then in the world of cash, even sometimes when they want, when they need surgery, they just, they don't want to do it. So I've not found I've had a, a higher infection rate than anybody else. Um, that's been fine. I had dinner with an orthopedic surgeon right before COVID started. And the surgery I looked up that he specializes in is about 118,000. I don't know if it's spinal fusion. I don't remember what it was, but it was maybe a disectomy. But then I said, what do you get paid for your work? And he said, I made $1,800 on that surgery today. And I thought for 118,000 and he makes less than 2,000, that's just not fair. There's something very wrong where the architect and contractor is now getting done for being a specialist and everybody else is doing well. That didn't make sense to me. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's so much money in healthcare, right? Where the United States is considered like the wealthiest country and like in the history of the world and 20% of the GDP about is spent on healthcare. So that's one out of every $5 in the wealthiest country in the history of the world being spent on healthcare. And it's mostly parasitic in nature. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that when a doctor says, well, I just want to work, I'll let someone take care of all the other stuff. What ends up happening is they do take care of all the other stuff and they leave you out of it. So when you can't control your, how much you're able to receive for what you do, you'll, you'll get marginalized because they know that you'll still do it. You'll still do these surgeries that if you're a hip and knee surgeon and all you do in hips and knees, and all of a sudden Medicare says, well, instead of paying you $1,400 knee, we're going to pay you $700. They're going to still do it. So, I mean, I think that's the, the trend. And I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, but when you can't set your prices, you know, a la all insurances, um, you know, you end up with these problems. So that number will only decrease with time. And I think that you'll see a lot of disgruntled surgeons as time goes on where they find that maybe surgery isn't really making them much money anymore, or at least not like it used to. So how do you come up with your pricing for your physical medicine practice that's not focused on surgery? How do you decide what you're going to charge? I would still call it an orthopedic surgery practice just because I'm not doing the surgery all the time. That's still the way I'm looking at things. And that's the way I'm trained. Um, my goal is just not to do surgery on everybody that walks in the door, but how I come up with my prices is I, you know, there's, I look at what people's price around them. I think about what makes sense considering my time and my travel and, you know, for surgeries, you know, I just kind of check what other similar centers are doing and what my costs are and, and pick something reasonable. Um, and I do think my costs are reasonable, um, especially, you know, if you're, you know, you have people who have insurance and have high deductible plans, they'll save more money with me than they will by using their insurance going to another orthodox. I'm assuming that there's not five other orthopedic surgeons doing what you're doing. I, I can't imagine. I mean, you're not only the first, but are you in sort of in a party of one and in of one? Yes, I think I am. So with primary care, they hit the pain point just so much earlier 
and the specialties because they don't generate as much income from it. And they were really being forced to practice assembly line medicine and then the hospital likes when they refer out. So they've developed this primary direct primary care. I mean, because they essentially had to Mm -hmm. um, because the pain point was hit and and that's a tried and true model. Now, I think with specialty, you haven't, the pain points are there, but they're not as severe. I think they will be, you know, so orthopedic surgeons still do pretty well financially at the moment. Um, I don't think that'll always be true, but as they hit these more pain points where their practice becomes very not good, I think you'll start to see more people jump. I just happen to be an outlier. So hmm. I, I guess you could say I'm pioneering the business model. Hopefully a lot of people send this to their friends and get them out of their misery so they can start <laughs> competing in a general way. Well, you're really competing only in your local market. You're not driving or flying to nearby cities. No, 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 I'm not. So my medical license, I have one medical license. That's just in the state of Colorado. There was a while with COVID where they relax, they relaxed the uh, telehealth requirements. So I was able to do telehealth in New York and Pennsylvania and Florida. So I dabbled in that a little bit, but uh, once they brought all those restrictions back, I, I let that go. Mm-hmm. So I, I just stay, I just stay locally, at, at least for right now. Mm-hmm. And do y'all have any kids right now? We do. We've got a, a four and a half year old and a, and a one year old. Running around. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. So what do you think is next for you, Daniel? What's, what's the next big move? Or are you just going to kind of keep plowing away and doing what you do? Well, there's a few, I'm doing multiple things at once. So one is to continue to grow the practice, just seeing more patients, you know, more surgeries, like in a direct care world. Also, I want to start, and I've done this a little bit, start teaming up more with DPC docs so that they, you know, like you'll have an employer who has a D, who uses DPC, well, I could be like ortho plus, you know, added on on top of that. And I think there's a tremendous potential for cost savings. Yes. Whether I see the patients in person or I do it more of a consultancy, in which case I could do it in any state, but making sure that the patients they're seeing, they, they take care of what they feel comfortable taking care of, but just kind of offering more of a second opinion for them um, so that they can treat patients uh, to the best of their ability opposed to over-treating or under-treating them. So I, I think that's an area of growth that I look to move into and I, I think will be good for, for everybody. And I'm, I'm piloting that right now. Um, and it seems to be doing, doing pretty well. Natural alignment. I mean, completely naturally aligned. So Jim Donovan was one of our guests in the early shows. He's with the Free Market Medical Association. I'm sure you have a chapter where you live. Have you heard mm-hmm. of them? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a member of the, of the FMMA. I haven't been able to make it out to their meetings yet, but uh, you know, I certainly hope to in the coming I think years. you'll find natural allies at every one of those meetings as well. Well, that's wonderful. Well, listen, I, is there something I should have asked that I didn't ask you? No, I don't think so. I think we I think we're, we're all kind of on the same side here. We're just trying to, you know, disrupt the system. At least that's what I'm trying to do while building this better system and you know, finding each of our places or how we do that best. And her mind is kind of figuring out this direct specialty care in the world of orthopedics. And I think it's, it's going well and I'm still working on it. And I, I hope other docs will join me at some point, but uh, right now it's such an outlier that uh, it may be some time, but I'll tell you that a lot of docs are really unhappy doing what they're doing and they're, and they're looking for something different. So th- this is certainly something different. We had an episode about a month ago with Mary Tally Bowden. Are you familiar with Dr. Bowden in Houston? Yeah. Everybody is. So she said something that I just never had occurred to me that when you're free of the tethers and the tentacles and the hooks that the insurance companies have, and you can speak your mind freely on whatever you want. You can be bolder and braver and not more confronted, but just more honest with the, the nonsense that's going on out there. 
Yeah, and, and, and in my case, you can certainly just remove it from your existence, uh, which is which is what I do. Like, um, if there's some a particular entity I don't like working with, or you know, something that's not conducive to me delivering good healthcare, I, I remove it immediately. Is there a CPT code for happiness? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's infinity, but um, <laughs> yeah, you can't put a price on all that stuff. It's happiness time with your family. And I, I do think at its core, the practice of medicine is extremely enjoyable. But what happens is it gets really wrecked by these insurance company hospital system requirements. So if you can strip all that away and get down to just the core essence of it. It really is a good job, but you know, you can't get down to the core without doing a fair amount of work of, mm. to remove all that stuff. Yeah, that's well put. Well, Daniel, how do people find you if they want to reach out to you? Um, so I have a LinkedIn page is Daniel Paul MD. I have a YouTube channel called uh, Beyond the Scalpel. And then on my website, it's easyorthopedics.com, or you can in- email info at easyorthopedics.com. And we usually get back to you pretty quick. That's awesome. And if you could fly a banner overhead, since you've listened to my show before, you knew I was going to ask this one. Mm. What's the banner say? I think that the banner would say, your healthcare sucks. <laughs> Unless you're with us on our yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on your... It's like for 90% of y'all, it's good yeah, for us. Yeah, 90% of your, 90% of you have terrible healthcare. Yeah, and they know it and they don't know what to do about it, but hopefully we'll discover a, a show like this. Well, we'll get this episode up and then you can send it out to all your orthopedic buddies you were in residency with and they will wake up, I'm sure, when they hear how happy you sound and that you're you're doing just fine, thank you, and you're most importantly out of your in-law's basement. Oh, yeah. No, no, there was like, a, you know, and I, I think truly a lot of business people really respect the fact that I lived in my in-law's basement. <laughs> yeah. because you know you got to do what you got to do to build something you know and the part of that is cutting your personal costs so that's what i did and it, it's, it's so far worked out uh, i think more people will join me i've certainly talked to other orthopods who are like uh let me know if you need a partner and i'm like well i don't really need one quite yet but i'll keep you in mind okay i got one final zinger since you told me the secret about your kids would you by the way the statistics are three-fourths of doctors would never recommend medicine to their kids would you recommend your two small children to get into healthcare. I would recommend that if they go into healthcare, the caveat is that you cannot take insurances and you have to stay in the world of direct care. Of course, they probably wouldn't listen to me when they get <laughs> to that age. But the caveat is I would not go into medicine unless you can practice direct care. And then I would say it's a, a fantastic job. Well, your, your daughter will listen to you until she's 15 and then she'll listen to you again when she's 19. And your son will listen to you the rest of his life. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> to be determined, right? <laughs> to be determined. Thanks again for your time, Daniel. Enjoyed it. And uh, we'll catch up with you again. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.